Turn with me again this evening to the book of Genesis and the chapter number 3. just want to reread that verse, number 6, with you again. Genesis chapter 3, and again reading that verse, number 6. And there we read in God's word. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, She took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Let us bow together in prayer, and we'll ask the Lord now to put his blessing upon the preached word and of the gospel message again. Our Father, we pray now that as we come to the glorious gospel and the wonder of it, that thou would be pleased to bless thy word, that thou would be pleased to speak to those who have yet have never tasted and seen that the Lord is good. So bless us now, draw near. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A question that so many people have asked, and perhaps rightly ask, is why is the world the way it is? We could be more specific than this, because we could say that people essentially ask the question, why is there so much evil 
And why is there so much bad in the world? And so many people will come up with many different answers. They will say many different things as to why the world is the way it is. Some will say we need this or we need that or we need something else. And they'll bring every single solution without really getting to the root of the problem. Let's give you a few examples of the evil world that we live in. You think of wars and invasions of other countries. We know very well that on the 24th of February 2022, Russia invaded Ukraine. This was the biggest attack on a European country since World War II. And tens and thousands of people have lost their lives as a result. Something you'll read off is the multiple war crimes committed by Russian soldiers. One was on the 9th of March 2022, where they thought it was fit to bomb a children's and maternity hospital. After the attack, it was reported that one young woman who was near full term in her pregnancy lost her life, and so did her unborn child. One said in response to this, we don't understand how it is possible in modern life to bomb children's hospitals. You see, they they really are saying, well, how is it that in 2023, with all of our knowledge, with the way society has evolved, as people would put it, how can we get to a place where such evil is happening in our world? You think of another fact. You think of the fact that 10% of this world's population, when it comes to children, go to bed hungry. One million children per year die as a result, and families find themselves in awful situations where they must make a decision, or they feel they must make a decision, as to how they're going to secure their financial future, and therefore not get into that place of starvation. And what is their answer? Some will put their children into child labor. Others will arrange marriages for their children with other people. Again, we'll go further. There was a horrible thing that happened in a hospital in England due to the actions of Lucy Letby. She was a neonatal nurse and she had the care of so many newborn babies, those perhaps at times who were critically ill. Her job was to nurse them back to health and to bring them back to a state where they would be able to be released from hospital and go home with their parents. And yet she was found guilty and convicted of killing seven infants and attempting to kill six more. She was sentenced to life in prison with no possibility of release. Some of the things she did were horrific. She injected some of those infants with air and with insulin. She overfed some of them and she physically assaulted others. And the question has really been asked as this has been brought to the media. And people have looked at it. They've asked, why did she do it? She seemed to be a normal woman. There was nothing about her childhood that would maybe suggest she was damaged mentally. There was nothing at all about anything that they could really put their finger on to ask or to find out that question, why did she do it? 
How did she become the woman that she became? Let me say this, when it comes to all of this, when it comes to all of the, uh, the horrifying information that I've given you tonight, the answer comes in the Word of God. When we look at this world, when we see the evil, when we see what people are capable of, we go to the Word of God. And let me say this, the world is not even as bad as it could be. Not as due to the common grace of God. He withholds people and their evil. If he did not withhold people and their evil, we would probably utterly destroy ourselves. But we see the Bible gives the answer because it shows us not only evil being committed and similar scenarios, but we see the very root and the very cause of evil here in Genesis chapter 3. Here we see evil enter into humanity. Here we see the presence of evil even in the spiritual world. And you realize what we mean that later on. But what happened here in Genesis chapter 3 with Adam and Eve is the answer to it all. And you may say to me, why do people do what they do? Because that is their nature. Why did that woman see fit to take the life of seven innocent infants? Because that's her nature. She probably doesn't even need a motive because that is exactly what men and women do naturally. They commit evil in the sight of God and they commit evil toward one another. And we go back to Genesis chapter 3 and we see that's where it all began. Therefore, Romans 10 and 12 is very correct. It says, they are all, not speaking of everyone, they are all gone out of the way. They are become to, together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. You see, out of the heart of men and women, good is not capable in the sight of God. Yes, we're, we're capable of relative righteousness. We're capable of Perhaps good actions towards one another, yet in the sight of God, it's all evil. It's motivated by evil, and it will always end in evil. What does God do as he views the evil? As he sees it enter into the world here in Genesis chapter 3, through the actions of Adam and Eve, God acts in mercy, and God acts with his revelation of salvation. Genesis 3.15 says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. The Lord here declares a conflict. He says that in humanity now there will be two seeds. There will be the seed of the woman, those who will be united to the Savior, and at the other end there will be the seed of Satan. And there will be this great conflict in the world, in the midst of all of this evil. God will unfold bit by bit his redemptive plan. He will bring a people out of this world for himself. And he will redeem it from its evil, ultimately, when Christ comes again. But what do we see here? We see redemption. We see salvation. We see a way for men and women in this world to be saved. You think of people who have committed such evil in our world. The Lord can forgive them. The Lord can save them. The Lord can save you. The Lord can bring you out of the estate that you're in and bring you to a place where you know Christ and you know a new life and a new heart with new motivations. The Lord can do that for you tonight. See, God in this evil world is saving a people for himself. 
And one day he will bring all of that evil to an end. So he reveals here his plan of redemption. And we see three key characters in this plan uh, in Genesis chapter 3. And I want to look at these three key characters tonight. And so our, our thought, our theme is this. Three key characters in the plan of redemption. First thing I want you to see here, I want you to see the subtle serpent. The subtle serpent. We leave Genesis chapter 2 when there is but a state or in a state of paradise on earth. Adam had been given his wife Eve to be a helpmate unto him. And so they were in a place of paradise and they were to live in that happy place for the rest of their lives and for the rest of eternity. But something begins to change as soon as we go into Genesis 3 verse 1. And read Genesis 3 1 with me. It says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And so in the midst of this happy paradise, it is clear to us that there is the presence and the entering into the garden of an evil being. Someone evil now enters into the paradise of God. We could say that Adam and Eve had already failed in their mission because they had a role of protecting the garden and yet it seems to be there is an evil presence lurking into it. And so we look here and we ask this question, who is it? Well, the Bible speaks of a serpent. Now, whether that serpent could speak or whether the devil was behind the serpent or whatever you want to say about it. The reality is that there's a serpent and Satan as at the very root of what is happening here. And so the serpent here is described as subtle. He's coming in a, in a manner that is crafty. The Lord wants you to see that there's someone coming into the garden with no good intentions. Of course, we know that as the devil himself. Satan enters into the Garden of Eden. Revelation 12, verse 9, it says, And the great dragon was cast out, the old serpent called the devil and Satan. And, and Satan here comes to the garden, and, and Satan, you must understand, had evil in his mind. You see, Satan is a spiritual being. He is a, a very powerful spiritual being. He is one that only has one object, and that is to cause evil in the sight of God and to spread falsehood and lies and murder. And yet we, we would wonder, how did this evil being enter into the garden? Especially when we think of Genesis 1 verse 31, as said, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. God says, I've made everything, I, I've made the universe, and the angels that I've made, the spirit beings, are all good. Yet from that verse to Genesis chapter 3, the devil has fallen. The devil had rebelled against God, and thus he enters the garden as a rebel, as an imposter. He enters into the garden with the great plan to see that Adam and Eve would fall into utter ruin. He wanted them to rebel. He wanted them to sin against God. He wanted the evil that had entered into his own heart to enter into the world. He wanted death and he wanted destruction. 
Let me tell you, if you're not saved in this meeting this evening, the activity of Satan in your life through agents that he employs ought to be something that concerns you and ought to be something that you're very aware of. Maybe up until this point in your life, you have not been aware of the effects of his influence upon you personally. You have not been aware of the fact that you have served Satan and that you in so many ways have followed his counsel and followed his will and went the way and on the path of life that he wants you to go on. You think of those words in Revelation 12 and 9 again. It says, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. Do you see what he does here? He, he deceives. He, he causes men and women to go a path of wickedness and a path of evil. He, he maybe has done that in your life so far, unbeknown to you. You say, I, I'm an independent person. I do what I want to do. I live my life the way I want to live my life. And yet you maybe don't know right up until now. You've lived under the power and the influence of Satan. That verse we read where it speaks about Satan deceiving the whole world, it has this thought of someone who causes another to roam away from safety or truth. And Satan will cause you to roam away from the safety and the refuge of Jesus Christ, from the truth of the gospel. And not only will he cause you then to roam away from it, he will not cause you to roam in some type of limbo, but he causes you to roam, to roam in a pathway that will lead you straight to hell. That's what he causes you to do. That's what he wants. No matter what pathway you're on in life, no matter what way you're going in sin, all of these roads, all of these pathways, all of these areas in life that you enter into, they all lead to the same destination. And that's where the devil has you right now. And that's where the devil wants to keep you. And that's where the devil wants to see you at the end of your life fall into eternity without the Lord Jesus Christ. That the devil will not try to deceive the Son of God himself. You think of what it says in Matthew 4, verse 8 to 9. It says again, The devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. He comes to the Savior and he says, Look at this world, it's yours if you follow me. If you bow down at my feet, if you worship me, I will give you all of the kingdoms of this world. Well, let me put it this way. He was offering the Savior something that he could not give him. That he had no right to give him. Yes, he, he rules in this world. He's a God to many, but the sovereignty of earth belongs to the Lord alone. And let me put it another way. He was offering something to Christ that Christ would receive when he died at the cross. When Christ died and rose again, he went to glory and the kingdoms of this earth are his right now. He was essentially saying to the Savior, I will give it to you. If you will but not go to that cross. And you will have all of these things. Without the suffering. Without the pain. Without any of it. Just fall down and worship me. And the devil comes to many people. With false promises. 
with false expectations. He brings the world before them. He says, perhaps to you, you're young. The world's at your feet. There are endless opportunities. There are all of these things that the world can give to you. He puts it all before you. He says, it's all yours. Yet at the end of it all, Satan wants to give you something that he has no right to give you. And his promises ultimately will lead you into the world and lead you to a lost eternity. Because those things he puts before you are vain, they're temporary, they're fleeting. And they will not last. I say to you tonight then, will you continue to live under such a tyrant? Will you continue to live in bondage to him? Maybe you say, I'll leave the meeting tonight and I'll be all right. I'll take my chances. Look what Eve said in Genesis 3.13. She says, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat. Eve essentially said, I wrestled with the devil and I lost. Understand, Eve was a woman. Created an absolute righteousness. Unlike you. Yet she went into conversation with the devil. She lost. If you go out into this world, you essentially say, I will go out and I will live my own way, do my own thing. The devil has no power over me. And I tell you, this is something that the Bible says you will be overcome. You will be lost. You'll continue on in the shackles of your sin. And yet Christ says to you, why not follow me? Let me be your master. He says, when I'm your master, uh, the load is light. The pathway uh, leads to glory. He says, you begin to serve me. And I will take you into everlasting bliss in heaven. What a contrast. See the subtle serpent. I want you to see the rebellious representative. The rebellious representative. Satan was instrumental in all that happened here. He deceived Eve and Eve went on to convince her husband. But we see here that Adam and Eve were very quick to point the finger. It says in verse 12, uh, these are the words of Adam, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. And Eve did the same thing. She pointed at the serpent. And so they were very quick to point the finger. They were very quick to set aside their responsibility But these actions had consequences, not only for Adam and Eve in the immediate sense, but for all of humanity. Because I want you to understand that Adam was placed in the garden as a representative. That was his role when it comes to humanity. And as he was entered entered into the garden as a representative, God said to him, If you obey me, you and your Prosperity will have life. If you disobey me, you will fall into sin and all those that come from you. And God then put Adam in what is known as probation. As he was in the garden, God said there is a period of time whereby if you obey me, you will have eternal life. Now Adam was placed into the garden to work. And some people maybe imagine that this paradise was a A thing whereby Adam laid back and even him had good times. That's not the reality here. The Bible says that Adam was to work. He was not to be an idle creature. You think of what it says in Genesis 1, 27 to 28. It said, God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. 
Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So Adam was the king of creation. And what he was to do with Eve, he was to subdue the creation, and he was to spread the Garden of Eden uh, to the whole corner of the world. To every corner of the world. And so the Garden of Eden was a paradise that was going to be extended to the whole world. And as Adam and Eve had children, they would have had the whole world populated with the image bearers of God. And so God would have dwelt in the whole world with his image bearers in the paradise that extended over the whole earth. That was Adam's role. And that was Adam's goal. And God said, this will begin to take place if you obey me. Yet, in the midst of it all, God places two trees. Genesis 2 and 9 says, And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of life was there. And if Adam had obeyed God, he would have ate of the tree of life. And as he ate of the tree of life, that would have been a reminder to his senses that he had life, and life that would never end. And if Adam had not partook of the tree, evil would not have entered into the world. And yet as Adam has fallen, evil has entered into his heart, to your heart, to all of humanity. Every single person is affected. Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. That's the way God had it. Adam was a representative, a representative that fell. And as he fell, we fell with him. And therefore, evil is in the world. And God there sees mankind and his evil and in his wickedness. So Adam fell, and so have you. Look what he says to Adam when he curses him. Verse 17, and onwards it says, And he said, and unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field, and the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. Adam used to work in the paradise of God. Work was a pleasant thing. Work was a thing of ease. And yet God says to him, now you will work, the rest of your days and the cursed ground and you will sweat on your brow and it will be tasking and it will be labor and at the end of it all your body shall die and go to the ground let me bring this home to you the curse is very real in your life because i ask you what is the purpose of your existence right now i ask you what are you living for Because if you're not living for the glory of God, you're living for nothing. And your life is pointless in that way. 
And your life has no meaning. You say to me, I go out to my work nine to five, Monday to Friday. I work hard for my family. I put food on the table. Yet because God is not the end of all of that, it is pointless. And your life will go continuously in this circle. Where you'll work, you'll labor, you'll provide at the end of it all. Your body will go to the ground and you will perish. Can you see what I'm trying to say? There's evidence of the curse of God upon you. A life of work and toil and labor and long hours and struggling to get by. And it will go on like that until the day you go to the ground. And your name won't be remembered. Generations to come. And you'll be forgotten about. Your life, you see, is no meaning. That's what happened to Adam here if he had remained in his sin. He would have toiled. He would have labored. He would have done all of these things. His body would have went to the ground. His soul would have went into a lost eternity. And it was all nothing. It was all pointless because he had no purpose without God. One of his sons, Cain, would know that. And without the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, without God at the very center, life is meaningless, life is vain, and life has no end. Think of a very different picture in Revelation 22, 2 to 3. It says, In the midst of the street of it, this is speaking about glory, and on either side of the river was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. Do you see the picture that the Bible gives us here? God is giving us a picture of the fact that he once again will restore his paradise on earth again. And the tree of life will be in the midst of it. And the Lord Jesus Christ will be in the midst of it. And God's people will be there, enjoying the presence of God, praising his name forever and serving him. See, they're going back in an even more glorious sense to what God had planned for them at the beginning. See, the Christian will say, my life is for the Lord. My end is glory. You cannot say that. The Bible says in Romans 5, 17, for if by one man's offense... Death reigned by one, not speaking of Adam. Much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was a representative. He represented his people. He died on the cross that they would be redeemed. I ask you then, are you one of his? Because no matter what you do in life, you're always going to be in Adam. But the great difference tonight is you can be in Christ. And to be again to live for the glory of God. With that great prospect set before you of glory. And of one day dwelling in the midst of the Lamb. And in the midst of the paradise of God again. In Adam you've fallen. In Christ you'll be made alive. One thing I want you to see, one last thing. I want you to see the seeking Savior. See Genesis 3 verse 8, it says, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. 
God immediately begins to seek after his rebellious creatures. Right away, he goes after them and he questions them because he wants to bring them to a place of reconciliation. He desires that they would be saved. And something you see here in this first eight, it says the, the voice of the Lord God was walking in the garden. This is not the first time in the Bible we've seen the voice of God. Genesis 1.3 says, And God said, Let there be light. And so often you'll read in the scriptures that it speaks about the fact that God speaks. It's very simple. God's voice is present. And so we could say God's voice is God's word. After the meeting tonight, you'll say that You heard my voice, and therefore you received the word. And so God here is saying, when you see his voice, you see his word. John 1 and 1 explains that for us. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Verse 14 of that same chapter, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. What is happening here? The voice of the Lord God, the word of God is in the garden. Who is that? That's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's very simple. The Son of God enters into the garden. God's appointed Savior right away enters into the garden and he begins to seek after sinful men and women. He begins to seek them out that they would be saved. He, he comes and he does not react in, in wrath. But rather he calls out to them. And he offers mercy. And he offers grace. Does this not teach us that God is a God who is willing to offer mercy and grace before he is forced or before he acts in wrath and injustice? Adam and Eve tried to cover their nakedness and their shame. Tried to run away from God and yet the Savior comes and he seeks them. This was but a foretaste of what Christ would do because the Bible says eventually that word became flesh permanently. He became a man. He's still a man today, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a man, he went forth to Calvary and he paid the price of sin by the shedding of his own precious blood. And the Savior seeks out men and women in gospel meetings such as this. You say in your heart tonight, I know the Lord is speaking to me. I've heard his voice in my heart. He's calling me to come on to him. I say the Savior is seeking you out. He's speaking to you. He's calling you to himself. Will you heed his voice? Will you take him to be yours? Will you receive that offer of grace and mercy? As I said earlier, God sees an evil world, but he says, out of that world, I will have a people for myself. And he begins to seek after those people. And he brings them into the fold. As the Lord speaking to you tonight, as I said, respond to his voice, get right with God, come to the Lord Jesus Christ and have him as your savior. Because he is the most important character when it comes to salvation, when it comes to redemption. He receives the exalted place That's why he came into the garden. That's why the Son of God was there because he is the only means and he's the only revelation of God when it comes to salvation. And 
he began his work right away. And he continues that work right into this meeting. And so I pray that you will come to him. Come because time is short. Come because the next time he speaks, it will be a word of condemnation. It will be a word of wrath. God is continuing his plan. He's taking it forward day by day by day, and he will bring it to an ultimate at the return of Christ. But there is still time. There is still a Savior, and there is still opportunity. I pray then you'll come to the Lord. I pray you'll do it for his sake. Amen. Amen. Let's bow together in prayer, and we'll bring our meeting now to a close. Again, just like to say at the end of the service, if you would like to speak to me at the door about anything that I've said in this message, if you'd like to speak about salvation, if you just let me open the Word of God with you, then I am willing to do that. I'm willing to speak further about these things. So if you'd like to do that, I'll be at the, at the door at the end of the service. But we'll seek the Lord now and just ask for his blessing upon us. Our Father and our God, we thank thee that in the midst of this evil world, there is a Savior who seeks out men and women. Even in the, the fullness of their sin, he is able to pardon and he is able to forgive. I pray, Lord, thou bless us now. Thou put thy hand upon us, part us with thy fear. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.